Hi there, and welcome to the Catholic Education Playbook Show, where we talk about faith, culture, and all things Catholic education. If you are interested in bringing a sense of order back to the culture by strengthening families, schools, and churches, you have come to the right place. My name is Kimberly Begg. I am one of your hosts. I am the editor of Catholic School Playbook, which is a project of the Ortner Family Foundation. And I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Sean Peterson. Sean is the president of Catholic Education Partners, which is the Catholic voice for education choice. We have a fantastic show for you today. We are delighted to be joined by Elias Moe. Elias is the superintendent of Catholic schools of the Denver Archdiocese. And very soon um, he is transitioning to a new, very exciting challenge. He will be joining the Diocese of Port uh, Portland and will be the Director of Catholic Education there. We are delighted to have Elias with, with us. Uh, welcome. Yeah, thank you, Kimberly, for having me. Welcome, my friend. Glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks, Sean. Well, Elias, I thought that we would kick off <laughs> Um, you know, hearkening back to a, a wonderful presentation that I saw you give to a group of teachers in Denver. What I loved about this presentation, you know, you discussed some just, you know, wonderful topics of, of formation um, and of pedagogy and of, you know, teaching the whole child and in human formation. But what I loved about this is you kicked off that conversation with this really interesting question. And what you asked the teachers was, you know, imagine if a stranger and sees, you know, that there is no sacred art on the wall and sees that the crucifixes are not there and, and our kids are not going to mass. You know, you asked this group, what would they see that would let them know that this school, this Catholic school is different than the non-Catholic school that is across the street? So I want to ask you, why did you start the presentation off with that, that question? Um, and, and what answer are you hoping that the teachers and the principal and the families and the students at the schools would be able to answer about what makes a Catholic school different, even without the sacred art and the crucifixes and mass? Yeah, it's my favorite thought exercise, actually, to engage uh, our school leaders and teachers in, um, only because, um, quite frankly, I think one of the um, one of the the things that has befallen Catholic education uh, today um, in the modern context is that oftentimes we have also bought into um, really broken notions of um, the aim and outcome of education, um, or what makes education worthwhile is how useful it is um, for uh, for the student receiving the education. Um, so again, a very um, obsessive, utilitarian-oriented um, view of education. And um, yeah, and again, sadly, I think in my experience, I've found, um, and this really coming from a, a lot of uh, analysis, personal analysis, self-reflection and prayer on the mission and purpose of Catholic education, um, I went to uh, a, a school of education. I, I'm a graduate of a school of education at the University of Notre Dame. Um, I was uh, immersed in, in the best of um, modern education and modern educational methods and, and techniques and pedagogy. Um, and, um, and it was as a, as a young teacher um, that I really began to grapple with questions around, but so if, if high school, uh, uh, entrance or college entrance um, or a great career is is the highest aim, right? Um, is that all there is? Is that it? Um, you know, that's uh, so. I'm I'm a product of Catholic education. Um, my uh, my parents are immigrants from Mexico, and they felt that the the best thing they could give, the best inheritance they could give me and my four siblings, was a Catholic education. And um, but you know, as a student, I grew up with with the sense that the reason why they were sacrificing many things um, or investing in um, our education uh, in the way that they were, right, uh, versus sending us to a free public school was merely because the Catholic school produced better outcomes <laughs> or the, the Catholic school uh, gave students greater opportunities and they merely just wanted greater progress, social progress uh, uh, for us to be able to to receive something that they themselves were not and, and were not able to receive. Um, and mm -hmm. And so uh, where did this come from? Well, 
uh, again, and, and it's not to be disparaging of the teachers uh, or the school leaders that, that I had as a student uh, from kindergarten through 12th grade, um, but as the son of uh, a migrant farm worker, um, uh, of immigrants, the message that was instilled in me um, and in many of my classmates who uh, were also, uh, who also came from similar circumstances and situations was you have to be better than your parents. Um, and, and maybe that message wasn't said directly, but it was in what was focused on in the classroom. It was in the messages that were, were given to students that the obsession with college career readiness that I experienced as a student. Um, and then the subtle ways that this was, was communicated to me, right? That, uh, and in fact, I, I, can I can tell you, quite frankly, there was a conversation with the teacher who said, um, my hope for you is that it, you will actually uh, be a better person than your dad. Um, that you would have uh, uh, greater opportunities than your dad and be a better person than your dad. Um, but gosh, there's something so that was now, as I look back on it, right? Something uh, so broken about even that notion. Because quite frankly, my dad is one of the best people that I know. Um, and if I could ever be uh, half the man that he he is, right? Um, it would be a, a, a very, very good thing. Um, but um, it was actually in a conversation with my dad when I started uh, as a principal, um, where I asked him, you know, I, for whatever reason, uh, curiosity finally hit me. And I asked him, hey, dad, why? Why all the sacrifice? Why all the things uh, that you did, right? The many, the many extra shifts. And, you know, we, we grew up with very little. We had everything we needed, but, you know, not a lot in terms of material things. Um, and I was blown away by his answer. Again, I was expecting to hear, I just wanted you to have greater opportunities in this country and have a better career than me and so on and so forth, right? Um, and his answer was really simple. Um, this, this migrant farm worker, right, with, uh, with a high school uh, level education at, at, at the best um, said, the reason why your mom and I did that was because we felt that the greatest inheritance we can give you was an education that led you to be free free to come to know, love, and serve God and discover your unique vocation and mission in this world. He's like, I could care less if actually what your career is. You could you could have ended up working in the fields with me. Um, but if you were a more virtuous man, a better man than, than I was, then I would have taken that as a successful marker of, of your education. How, how wonderful. And so are you saying that it was your dad who presented this idea to you for the first time, that this is not a message you were hearing in your education classes in college? Yeah, yeah. no, it was it was really mind blowing. And, and actually, I think it came at in a very providential moment. So at the time, I had also, again, just through my own desire to, to pursue this question. So the school where I served in, in Denver, uh, St. Rose of Lima Catholic Academy was a school that served primarily uh, Hispanic immigrant families and students, 98% free and reduced lunch qualifying, majority of the families were Spanish speaking. So in so many ways, right, they felt like I was looking in a mirror to my own situation and background uh, growing up. Um, and uh, and it was actually a conversation with, uh, with my pastor, um, Father Nick Thompson at the time, where we were really grappling with what is the highest good, the greatest good, the highest aim that we have for our students. Father, it's got to be more than than just, again, material success um, or, you know, really great test scores or closing the the achievement gap. Right. As important as, as those things are, certainly right. Intellectual uh, pursuits and the intellectual formation is is critical to to a good school. Um, but we, I think what we were surfacing then, and we didn't have the language at the time was, it felt like there was a, there was a divorce or that the, the two existed in parallel realms um, and weren't fully integrated, right? Um, and so, you know, th that searching really started with conversations with my pastor, thanks be to God, um, and, and led me then through my own graduate studies um, as well in, in, in leadership um, to discover incredible encyclicals um, Stratford Caldecott's Beauty in the Word uh, was a, a, a real source of inspiration and, and intellectual conversion as well for, for me. Um, Divinia Lewis Magistry, written by Pope Pius XI in 1929, uh, what I would argue is the Magna Carta uh, that, that lays out the, uh, the charter for, for Catholic education, the Church's charter for Catholic education so beautifully um, and prophetically as well. Um, so it, it's, it's, again, it's what? It's going to the heart of the church. Um, and then hearing, you know, again, my dad relay this, there was a chance encounter with a former student 
Um, I, I kid you not, in that same, same year, um, uh, who came back and um, he had not graduated from high school. He was a dropout. He ended up getting his uh, GRE um, or GED, excuse me. And um, we were talking and he said, you know, um, I, I've actually been hesitant to come to talk to you because you always harped on college as the marker of success. And I'm, I didn't get to college. Um, and so, you know, even in that moment of, of, uh, of just realization, like, my goodness, what have I bought into? What have I done? Um, and, and how have I contributed to this broken sense of, of, of uh, the telos, uh, right? The Greek word for the orientation, the aim um, of, of the pursuit of, of education and formation. So, um, so th just to give you a little bit of, you know, of, of my own uh, conversion, because I think that then that just to bring it for full circle to your question um, is, is why one of my desires as, as a leader in this role as superintendent and, and certainly as, as I started as director of Catholic education um, is to challenge the notions that, that we have bought into naturally because of just uh, us being products of our own education. Uh, us being those of us working in schools, right? We're products of modern education by and large. Um, notwithstanding, right? Those that perhaps are coming from uh, great uh, programs that I think have reclaimed the, the the proper notion of education and formation of the human person. But uh, the majority, the overwhelming majority of us are coming from these schools of education. Um, and I, I, I'm convicted that we have been robbed, especially in the Catholic educational uh, landscape. We have been robbed of the beautiful, timeless charter and tradition um, that we have, one that I think is best for the human person, best for the world, comes directly from the heart of the church. It's not a model to be implemented, um, but but again, it's it's the church herself saying, this is what is most uh, appropriate for the formation and education of the human person. Um, and, um, and so, um, I think that uh, getting to our teachers and to our leaders and, and, and helping them to uh, begin to reflect on, right, what is my worldview ultimately? Because um, as, as also, as I like to tell teachers um, and our school leaders, um, every method, every method has an underlying philosophy. There is no, in my view, there is no philosophy neutral or uh, no neutral method because um, there's something underlying. And and unfortunately, so much of modern education has become about technical skill, right, and ability. Um, but we don't know the influence of the progressive constructivists uh, and the Columbia uh, School of Education um, and John Dewey or the Frankfurt School, um, which introduced cultural Marxism into uh, modern education. Right. And that these are the nefarious influences. Um, that that have crept into modern education and, and have resulted in right and can also be tracked back to the Enlightenment period. Um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, um, uh, Pestalozzi, uh, a Swiss educator who you know was the first to, to begin to coin this term of student-centered education. So we don't we don't have a, a sense of what has transpired and, and has led to the moment that we're in. Um, and again, my dad. Let me come back to my the. The, uh, the wisdom of an ancient thinker and my dad, um, you know, he often uh, would tell me and my siblings, if you don't know where you've come from, you, you can't know where you need to go. Um, and and so there's so much that we have, I think, for the, the we being those of us that have been brought up in, in whether as students in modern education or have studied modern education um, in preparation for professional careers in education. Um, there's so much, again, that I think that, that is not given and passed on in, um, in what should be a, a rich formative experience in preparation for uh, a higher intellectual pursuit. Um, and so if, if a simple exercise of just presenting, right? Hey, what actually, um, what is beyond what we can see? Um, it's not the, the task of Catholic education to awaken the sacramental imagination. Um, and so if that sacramental imagination is not present in leaders and in teachers, um, then it's certainly not gonna be handed on to students and, um, and I think that so many of the teachers and leaders that we have in our Catholic schools actually desire something more, but, be, but perhaps have been shackled to, again, modern education standards and a, and a worldview that's so fragmented um, it, it, of no fault of their own, I think, right? We have all kind of bought into uh, the latest fads and trends in modern education, um, but there's something deeper and something richer that I think the church proposes. And and I think a question um, like the one you're you're referring to here, uh, Kimberly, is is meant to to begin to trigger um, a self reflection and a self analysis around how do I see the world, 
uh, personally first as a teacher? And then how am I helping students to see the world? And is there something fundamentally different about how we view the world as Catholics that actually can be imparted to, to students? Um, and so I think that, that gets to the second uh, question that you asked, right? What, what would I hope to hear as an answer to that? Yeah, well, my hope would be this, right? I, I usually pose it as a thought exercise. Um, if it's a smaller group, I'll ask, you know, hey, can you share with me some of the things? And here's some of the things that we hear, right? Which, you know, um, in one sense is not surprising, but in the other, I think is indicative of, of the situation uh, that we're in. But we'll hear things like, well, respect in the, in the hallways and in the classroom, right? Um, kids wear uniforms. Uh, we have discipline. We have order. And um, I'm, I'm quick to tell them, no, yeah, great. I mean, uh, oftentimes I think those are the things that we associate with good Catholic education. But uh, arguably, there's charter schools that have mastered the art of student classroom management and discipline. There's charter schools and public schools that use uniforms now. Um, there's charter schools that have these, you know, humanist values of kindness and respect tapered all over the wall, right? So if that's not the defining feature, then what is? And um, and this is, I think, where we get into some really good grappling, at least that's my hope. Um, and, and so I'd like to present then uh, a, a second thought exercise as a follow-up. Um, I'm a former math, middle school math teacher, so I love to engage them in math because that's the, the least uh, expected uh, discipline to talk about Catholic mission. Usually, you know, we, again, Catholic mission, we, we associate that with catechesis or theology classes, right? Um, again, a product of a fragmented uh, Catholic educational experience. Um, but it's the, in the math class, right? Okay, imagine you have students, you're, you're discussing Fibonacci, the Fibonacci sequence, right? This, the sequence that has perplexed and at the same time captivated the imagination of, of so many. Um, it's this pattern that you can see that uh, with, uh, I won't get into the technicalities of it here for you, but, um, but a pattern that, that you see present in, in, in so many things. Um, uh, and in so many ways in creation, um, logarithmic um, sequences that, that can explain the, the creation and development of spiral galaxies or um, the petals on a flower or even the, the spiral of a hurricane. Um, so uh, what's a student naturally going to do in a math class, right? Or let's take a science class. You could arguably have a science class that has all the same kind of raw stuff in a Catholic school and a public school, say microscopes, perhaps even, God forbid, but uh, the way that we know things go, even the same textbooks, right? Um, and they're studying cells and looking uh, under the, uh, at a cell under the microscope. But what happens next is where I think it hap the, the task of Catholic education happens. The student's going to ask, why is this the way that it is? <laughs> Why do these patterns exist this way? Why is this cell, does the cell exist this way? And in a secular public environment, the best that they're going to be able to hear, right, is what? Well, it's a cool cosmic coincidence. It just is, right? Um, or go ask your parents. <laughs> your parents can explain that to you, right? Um, my hope would be in a Catholic school, as I tell our, our leaders and teachers, that actually a teacher would lead that child or that student outside of themselves to begin to awaken the sacramental imagination to see in, in the logic and order of creation, in the math uh, patterns, in the mathematical concepts and constants, and um, in, in the, the composition of a cell, the imprint of a God who loves them and has used and is using creation to woo them to himself, to engage them in a relationship of love. Um, we can do that. We should do that. That's I, that, that's what I, I, as I propose to them, is the church's vision for what we have to offer in our schools. Um, but if it just stays at, well, let's just memorize math facts. Or if it just stays at, yeah, just memorize the parts of the cell so you can uh, get an A on the test, um, then we have fallen so short. Um, and, and, and is that not the task? I mean, the, the root of the word education, right? Educare, to lead out. Um, uh, is it not to lead out with right pedagogy? In fact, just recently, I um, I was uh, reminding uh, uh, some teachers of the roots of, of the word pedagogy. I'm not even going to begin to try to tell you what the Greek, uh, how to pronounce it in Greek, but the Greek root actually uh, uh, 
leads you to um, the definition of pedagogy as a slave who takes the master's children to school. Um, and as, as I was telling them, so if our task in education is to lead the student out of themselves, then are we not slaves of a master, right? We're not servants of a master leading his children back to him, right? Um, to encounter the logos, Jesus Christ, the principle, the finding principle and reason for all things, so that in the logos, they can know the heart of the father for them and in the heart of the father, discover their uh, their mission and vocation in this world. Um, that that's that's what I think we have to reclaim, um, and and to do that we have to engage deeply and 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 challenge these notions. So, um, yeah, I can go on even longer on this, but I'll I'll stop there because I think uh, <laughs> I gave you plenty. <laughs> it's it's really a shame you don't have more passion and fire for this job. I mean, <laughs> literally, which no. if you could find that, would be great. It really is no. Uh, it was. I was actually. My question to you was going to be. Um, I was going to ask you about the biggest threat internally and externally to Catholic education, but I think you've really, actually, already answered that question. Both of those questions, because I think, it. You've answered like it is the secular. It's a secular trying to. Uh, well, in a way, the secular infiltrating, but but we've really opened the door. Um, we, we've invited. Uh, we've invited the thief into our into the house it wasn't they didn't break in uh we actually invited them in i think and basically said take what you will um and so i think that's and then that becomes the internal threat as well right that we are and then we're sending out our teachers you know we're we're sending out already in a lot of ways poorly catechized people we're sending them to public, mostly public universities and institutions. And then we're hoping somehow that four years later, they come out more Catholic than they went in so that they can then, um, you know, influence young minds. So it's like, gee, what could possibly go wrong with that scenario? Right. So I, th I think you've sort of. So what I do want to get more into, and you and I've had this a lot of these conversations and uh, you touched on a little bit. You know, how do we get away from I love that you're taking the title of, you know, uh, director of Catholic education. Sometimes uh, titles have been switched to, you know, director of Catholic mission mm -hmm. uh, or head of schools. I love that we're getting away from the secular title of superintendent, uh, which really, you know, it, it does sound like some awful, you know, the, the Prussian factory model of here's, you know, it's your superintendent. He would watch you for today. You know, I mean, we've we've gotten in this crazy. So I love that you're doing that. So, can you talk a, a little bit, Elias, about, you know, what should we do about accreditation? What should we do about teacher licensure? How do we break away, you know, how do we break away from that secular stamp of approval? You know, and still give the bishops confidence and give our parents confidence that these that our schools good. But ultimately, the bishop or the archbishop in your both cases, he should really be the one accrediting his schools. I mean, he is the he should be doing that. And and I get we have to have uh, measures and all this kind of thing. But but can you talk a little bit about that? We like I said we've had these conversations. What are your thoughts on that? How do we do that in a way that you know we can still present ourselves to parents and the public, but to really re reclaim the role of the bishop who started the Catholic schools in the first place? The bishops did. So, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, it's a great question, and and, and quite a few actually. Um, you know, here I'm I'm led to a, actually something that was repeated in. Um, then the Congregation for Catholic Education, um, but now the Dicastery for Culture and Education, in January of 2022, released an instruction on the identity of the Catholic School for a Culture of Dialogue. And um, you know, those that are familiar with Vatican documents will know that they're not necessarily these easiest reads. They're pretty dense, but this is probably actually one of uh, I have found to be one of the most comprehensive and clear uh, documents that we have. Um, on the mission of the Catholic school and, and, and what's, what's proper um, and, and must be true, um, especially about, again, the, the, the role of the local ordinary or the bishop um, in, uh, in the life and, and mission of the Catholic school. So uh, 
quoting John, St. John Paul II, um, the document notes that the bishop is the father of the church in its entirety in his local territory. Um, and I, I can tell you right now, just from my experience these last six years, serving mm -hmm. alongside um, a really great bishop, uh, Archbishop Aquila, um, who truly believes in, in his role as the father of his church. And, um, and on the verge of working for another really great bishop in Archbishop Sample as well, uh, who embraces that um, so deeply. I can tell you that I think, and, and, and also in talking to my colleagues, that one of the, the, the wounds that I think has been inflicted on uh, Catholic schools has been um, the abdication of the spiritual fathers of our church. Um, and sometimes that has been, um, uh, and I, I, you know, I've said this to, to bishops before, of their own doing, whether because they're so consumed by, uh, again, the, the daunting task that it is to be a bishop in the modern world, and especially the, a bishop in the U.S. Um, and and of, uh, of modern U.S. diocese, right? Um, it's, uh, it's an impossible uh, human job. Um, uh, from a human perspective, it's impossible. Um, but uh, given that reality, right, I think that um, oftentimes they've tried to, to really uh, trust in the the leaders around them. Um, and oftentimes that has been to help manage the issues, to help manage the challenges that are present. Um, and so uh, in, in some ways, right, that has led to an abdication of their fatherhood there. Um, or in, in another way, in another form, it's manifested in a professional education class that has said, um, hey, bishop, or even to parish priests, right? Um, Father, um, you're not an educator. Let the professionals do the work of education. You stay over here. Come celebrate the sacraments for us. We love when you do that, Father. And actually, you don't have to do it every day, every day. maybe not even every week, right? Once a month is sufficient. So like we have we have also the professional education class has done such a good job of, of sidelining our, our bishops and sidelining um, our, uh, our pastors as well. Um, and, and because of that, I think, again, what we have seen is um, an, a wound of abandonment that has manifested in the church. And so um, what, what we need is we need to, we need our pastors starting with our bishops to again, claim their rightful place, their role, their responsibility um, in the life of the school um, and in the educational apostolates of their diocese um, and um, and our parish priests as well to be able to own that that work too um, of, of being the spiritual fathers of their communities. Um, and part of that spiritual fatherhood is what is to protect and to safeguard the mission of, of the school. Um, and there's other ways that I think practically speaking that can happen. So, you know, what we have seen then taking taking stock of that and, and to assist Archbishop Aquila in Denver, um, and something I've been discussing with Archbishop Sample now as we as we look towards Portland, but um, in light of this instruction, how do we, what are the, what are the systems and structures we can put around the bishop to empower him in his role um, and, and to give him the right uh, structures that he needs to be able to exercise his canonical rights and duties on behalf of the church to all the schools, all the Catholic schools in the territory. That's what the instruction says, not just the parochial schools or, you know, those that are covered by the diocese, but even schools that belong to institutes of apostolic life or consecrated life, right? Um, the bishop has a duty to all of those. Um, and primarily it is what? To safeguard the deposit of faith. It's to ensure that that what's happening in the school is consistent with the church's teaching and charter. Um, so um, for us, it, it was it was clear that the instruction, the instruction um, was very clear in saying we need a visitation process. We need the bishops to engage in a visitation process. And for all extended purposes, what they were describing there was what we would call more conventionally an accreditation process. Mm -hmm. um, I think modern accreditation is actually incredibly broken. Um, and incredibly non-aspirational. That's part of the reason why it's broken. Uh, it's become this kind of minimum standard uh, pat on the back uh, process that really has become actually quite a business um, in, in, especially in the U.S., right? Um, and, um, and, and, you know, I can tell you from our experience in Denver, the creditor that we had for two decades, right, the thousands of dollars that we we're paying for really a process that was not meaningful to begin with. And then two, uh, that was just secular uh, standards, modern education standards, that then we had to throw Catholic, some type of Catholic standards on top of, right? Um, 
merely making it a veneer ultimately um, was not a good use of resources either. And, um, and our schools, our school leaders and our pastors resented the archdiocese for making them go through this uh, secular accreditation process. Um, again, to go back to an earlier notion, right? The met, there is no, no neutral method. Um, or philosophy neutral method. Every every method and system has an underlying philosophy, um, and so accreditation I think has been one of those. Um, and and I think we could add state licensure to that as well, right? One of those unquestioned systems and structures that we have bought into in our Catholic schools, um, without really understanding what are we actually promoting here or, or buying into? What vision of the world or of education are we buying into when we shell out you know forty five fifty thousand dollars sometimes a year? Uh, for this accreditation to happen in a, a, at a diocesan level. Um, and, uh, and so if the church is, is calling for this visitation process to essentially assess the fidelity of a school in all aspects, right? Um, mm -hmm. Not just, again, in doctrinal matters, which oftentimes just gets reduced to, do you have good theology teachers and is your theology program at least marginally competent, right? Um, but in every aspect and dimension of the curriculum in every aspect of the systems and structures of the school enterprise and how you engage families right in leadership structures um seeing that they're actually there's i would say this and 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 some might disagree with me but i don't think there exists a, an organization or an entity today that that can accomplish this for for bishops um to be able to provide a, a true assessment experience that will allow the bishop to really own um, it, his duty and responsibility, and then be able to properly accompany uh, a school um, in what way, right? Uh, not to tolerate the the thing, the ways in which it's not meeting mission, um, but actually accompanying accompaniment that leads to what to conversion, <laughs> to renewal, uh, to be able to call his his pastors and his leaders to uh, to tend to what needs to be tended to, so that the mission can continue to to be renewed in the most important things. Um, so in Denver, we embarked on creating that, um, seeing that there was nothing there. I think we engaged with uh, various partners, uh, mission partners that we have to assist us in developing, um, yeah, a set of standards that, that were, were reflective of the church's uh, charter and, and tradition, um, uh, rooted again in, in, in sound doctrine, but also in the church's own documents on, on, on education. Um, and, and also calling for what I think the church calls for, which is a, for us to embrace, especially in the times that we're in, a Catholic educational program that is truly a, a liberal education experience. That is an education that leads to, to freedom um, in, in Jesus Christ. And that there's practical applications of that, right? In teaching and learning and curriculum, and pedagogy and uh, school culture and so on and so forth. Um, and systems and structures, policies, um, et cetera. So um, this uh, this November, we actually launched that um, with uh, and, and are launching this fall with three schools here in Denver. Um, we just wrapped up the first visitation. We actually are a few days away from the second one. And um, it's been a really rich experience, really thorough. Um, and the Archbishop appointing a team uh, of experts, as the document calls for, to come in, visit the school, uh, and the schools are asked to provide, what is your educational philosophy? Give us your, your reading list. What are all the things that kids are reading? Um, there's, you know, interviews with all faculty, with parents, um, with students. And primarily the questions are really meant to, to uh, gain um, information around what? What is their worldview? How do they see the, the task of education? How do they see their vocation and ministry as educators in relation to students? What is the highest good that the school has to offer? And um, and it's been, I think, really illuminating and enlightening. But for what purpose? You know, some people I think have have accused the diocese uh, uh, with this of, of just a ploy to to come down with a with a booming hammer on top of uh, schools, right? Or to want to remove the Catholic uh, status and identity of a school. Um, and that's not at all the case. I can tell you. In fact, Archbishop Akola does not desire that at all. Um, in fact. I think his deepest desire is for him, one, uh, as the father of the local church, to be able to understand what's happening in the school. Um, and then two, to be able to weigh in and say, this is this is the beautiful work that's happening. Uh, but actually, this is where, as the father of the local church um, and the successor of the apostles, I'm asking for this to be tended to. 
So then that will lead, right, uh, the Catholic schools team to engage the leadership in the right conversation, which is, hey, here's what the bishop is asking for. Here's the commendations on the good that's happening. Um, and let's talk. How can we support you in formation uh, of your leaders and your teachers so that this can be accomplished? And then, again, what do you have? You have the right type of accompaniment, um, ultimately, um, because accreditation, I think, has to, good accreditation let's, or assessment has to lead to right formation, too, um, which is another aspect of accreditation systems and processes today that, that that's lacking. Um, at best, you're going to get all of this, you know, laundry list of recommendations that tell you all these tactical things. Do this, do that, do this, do that. And that's it. And we'll see you in five years. Right. Um, and uh, your fifty thousand dollars is due next month. Um, so uh, the hope is to create something, again, aspirational, something that calls to to the greater things. Um, but um, but that to me is actually what has I believe deeply. Um, if, if our bishops and diocese could really embrace the bishop's role of being the father of his local church, it would be a game changer um, for, for our Catholic schools. Because then the trickle down is the pastors. If they see in their father the model of fatherhood, a spiritual fatherhood over the, uh, the institutions uh, that the church has, um, then I think you start to see priests who also are like, as, as a delegate of my bishop, too, right? Then it's my task to safeguard and protect this mission um, and to ensure that it's happening. Um, and, and not just, again, you know, uh, allow my value to be worth uh, uh, or be placed on, you know, um, how uh, inactive I am or, or you know, uh, how much, uh, uh, how less of an obstacle, excuse me, <laughs> I am to, to the school sometimes. Um, uh, and, and so then, you know, I think we can add the state licensure piece in there, too, because, uh, uh, frankly, that's another area where, you know, unquestioned assumption, marker of quality, licensed, state licensed teachers, right? That, that's been this notion that we've had present in schools now for decades. Um, but at what expense? Well, we know, again, you just have to look up the state standards for, for teacher licensure of any state to see. What what are what do they believe is most important for teacher formation development, um, or, or I would call it maybe teacher deformation. Um, so uh, for us, it, it became really clear if if we're aspiring to more and to the to the church's heart um, and and vision, then a teacher licensure is not going to cut it. Um, and 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 so you know we're grateful, for example, for the Institute for Catholic Liberal Education and their willingness to work with us in partnering to develop a teacher formation program that we actually think uh, would bring uh, the right type of formation for educators in in a Catholic school. And yeah, we'll we'll result in a in a credential that then um, at least you know here in the Archdiocese of Denver and the number of other dioceses now uh, more and more is being recognized as. A credential to uh, to be eligible to be employed, yep. but if we can remove ourselves from the yoke, this unnecessary yoke that we place of, we will only hire teachers that are licensed by the state. Um, gosh, like we can broaden, I think, even the pool of eligible people, um, mission-aligned people that that we can bring to work in our schools. So even just from that very functional perspective, too, right? Um, we we could also expand the base and the talent that we have available to us, but. Fundamentally, again, it, it has to be more about elevating the primacy of formation versus uh, just, you know, having a, a paper that says, great, you paid your your hundred dollar fee or whatever. Right. To get your license. You took this test and it says that you, you can be a teacher. Um, is that not a low bar? I mean, how low <laughs> how low of a bar is that? Um, and um, and I know that there's some states, you know, Sean, we've discussed this. There's some states that do require uh state uh, licensed teachers to be even in private schools and in Catholic schools. And um, I mean, I, I have to believe that even in those situations, there could be some legislative uh, um, options uh, to pursue um, to, and to find relief from that. Um, uh, but, uh, but I, you know, thanks be to God in, in Colorado and also in Oregon, there is, there's no state law that mandates that private schools, the Catholic schools have to hire teacher licenses. Um, and uh, we finally realized that uh, that we can that it's okay. It's not going to be scary actually to to get rid of this self-imposed requirement of state licensed teachers. Um, it has actually also helped our leaders to expand their notions of what quality is and um, and be open to to again uh, something more than perhaps even 
what they had um, had an understanding of. Yeah, no, that's great. Amen, brother. I mean, yeah, I mean, Al Albert Einstein probably couldn't teach physics in most uh, public high schools because he wouldn't be qualified. So, yeah. Yeah, what what great insights. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned the sidelining of our bishops and pastors. I've actually um, heard it, at least one pastor cite subsidiarity as a, a reason not to be involved with uh, a, a parish school. Um, it strikes me, though, that there is a, another really important group that has also been sidelined uh, by professional ed educators, those who make claims that, you know, they're in a better position um, to educate children. Um, and those would be parents. So actually, once I was in a, a second grade classroom, when I heard a, a teacher say that very thing, you know, don't worry um, about, you know, if, if you don't have the answers at home, you are not the teacher, I am the teacher. Um, so understand that this is my job, and that is not your job. Um, so I, you, you know, understand that 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 this relationship works um if all the questions come to me as as the teacher and, and if you have your roles at home as the parent uh could you speak a little bit um to the sidelining of parents um i think that this has been a problem for a long time um in our society i think this is a problem going back decades um with parents thinking, well, I, I'm sending my, my kids off to school, they're getting the education there, whatever we do at home, it, you know, it is our home life. But I think that, you know, there's been a, an awakening um, of, of parents as an understanding uh, that they are, in fact, the primary educators of, of our children. This is a teaching of the Catholic Church. Yeah. But I've also noticed uh, more teachers embracing um, this really, really important truth that, you know, yes, they are assisting, they're actually secondary educators of the children that are entrusted to their care. Would you speak a little bit um, to any shifts that you've seen in um, parental attitudes and maybe how um, you, you, you worked in uh, Denver to bring uh, parents along, um, and also maybe to also bring teachers along in this understanding of the church's teaching that parents are primary educators. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, well, as you know, as the the parents of school age uh, children, I can tell you this is this is also incredibly important for my wife and I um, as we look at um, and and discern, continue to discern, right? What is what is it that we want to be able to see as parents in the education of our of our boys? Um, and that truly is right a, uh, a rightly ordered understanding of, of the primacy of parents as first educators mm -hmm. um, and the domestic church, the family as the first school of, of the child. Um, and then if, if that's the foundation that we see the school that, that, that leaders and teachers see their task, uh, you know, certainly as partners, um, but I would even say that, that again, subsidiary to the family um, ultimately. Mm -hmm. Um, so all things being equal, right? The foundation is what? It's church teaching. Um, and I think that um, sometimes, I believe it or not, I've found that we use the, well, parents are the primary educators. So whatever they want is what, what's going to happen as well. That, that, I think, is actually taking it to another extreme that, that also falls short, falls short of the, the church's uh, vision and understanding of, of even the, the primacy of, of the parents. Um, because, again, the foundation is what? It's truth. Um, and, and so, um, a school has to be committed to, to families by calling them to the church's understanding of the family of the, as the domestic church, um, and, and that the responsibility of, of, of the parents, right. Then in that domestic churches as, as the leaders of, of their family to provide this, uh, formation for the children in wisdom and virtue, um, and so thanks be to God, I think, I think you're right, Kimberly. I think we have begun to see a reawakening of uh, the primacy, the sense of an understanding of the primacy of, of parents. Um, and, and, and oftentimes I think it actually has been uh, because they're recognizing where modern education has, has gone with this question, um, with, which actually, you know, in talking to some families there, you know, you, you, all you have to do is turn on the TV and you'll see, right. The, the battles that families are locked into with local school districts, right. And school boards. That's, I think where, where we see 
um, fundamentally the brokenness that that has um, manifested in, in modern ed, especially in public education. Um, but, but many families who are astonished to see, I, we can't believe the school board is pushing families out or not letting them have a say, or you know the families have to fight so hard to be able to have a say in their curriculum. Um, and, uh, and, and very char charitably, what I'd like to say is, but this has always been the, the understand, the working understanding of, of public education. Um, in fact, from the development of the common school under Horace Mann in the late 19th century, right? There was this sense of in loco parentis, that the school was meant to be a parent for the students uh, if their parents weren't giving their children what the state uh, believed was necessary for the sake of, of a good democracy, right? Um, it's a really dangerous notion that I think we see playing out it to its fullest extent now. Um, and so, yeah, so they're going to have no qualms, um, I think, in, in a public setting to say, yeah, we know better than you, mom and dad, right? Um, and and in, in, in kind of the day and age that we're in where, you know, so many um, uh, ideologies um, uh, contrary to the, the nature and understanding of the nature of the human person and, and sexual identity um, and so on and so forth, right, have, have become commonplace and, and have found home um, in residence in, in public schools. Um, we see this like nefarious uh, uh, mindset in place, right? Um, for the sake of a tolerant and uh, and and for the sake of uh, a an anti-racist society, right? We have to give kids what their parents don't want to give them. Um, so uh, so obviously that's what's playing out. We we see in in, in public schools, um, but uh, frankly, I think the Catholic school is not immune to to some of this um, at times, right? Whether it's because it's it is driven driven by this really consumer. Uh, minded kind of culture that that's been embraced, right? Where, yeah, again, the customer's always right. Parents pay tuition. So whatever they, they want is what we're going to do. Oftentimes I have found that that has actually led to a diluting of the mission of the school, um, not a strengthening. Um, uh, but, but even in, in, in situations where, uh, again, parents are, uh, you know, are demanding certain things, right? I think fundamentally there's something good there, and that's what that, that the parents recognize and see uh, their their role. Um, but again, this is I think where schools have to to go back to the church and and to the church's understanding of, of the primacy of the parents and the the family is the first school um, and and the foundations right again in faith, um, in virtue, in truth, and so. In, in kind of the right manifestation of this, right? I, I think, what do we see? And, and I see this present in, in many of our schools here in the Archdiocese of Denver, um, but it's a leadership that believes that deeply and is inviting parents into the work and task of educating and, and, and forming their children. Um, and in some, in some cases, quite frankly, it's the school also uh, engaging in the first proclamation, um, yes, of the gospel in some instances, but also the first proclamation to parents of, hey, mom, dad, you are the primary educators, and this is what the church means by that. And here's how we're going to invite you into this. And here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to live an active faith life at home. We're going to challenge you to go to mass together as a family. We're going to challenge you to pray together. We're going to create a space of Christian community where that can happen here. We're going to be unabashed about the gospel here and about the church's teaching. Um, that's what we have to offer. So there's something beautiful, I think, about being so upfront and so clear with families about that, because then that allows the family to be able to know how to engage and where to engage. But also, I think it 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 brings a necessary point of discernment for the family. So um, I've 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 always been a believer that we have to take this to its 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 the greatest extent possible. This understanding of the primacy of the parent. And we can't do that if in, in, in charity, we're not clear and upfront with the family about what's expected by the church, from the church of them and also of their primary role in the life of the school. Um, the, uh, the principal at the school where my boys go to, I think is a great example of this. He'll, he'll sit down with every prospective family. And before they even fill out any paperwork, he says, listen, I don't want you to go to the trouble of filling out paperwork to enroll your child here. Um, until you hear from me what we believe as a church, what we believe as a school, what our worldview is and what we're going to ask of you, mom and dad, 
as primary educators and of your domestic church. And he goes through, he gives them a, a, the kerygma, he proclaims, it gives them a really simple proclamation of the gospel. He talks about the, the primacy and role of parents, what the church teaches, quotes the catechism. And then after that's all said and done, he says, listen, if you mom and dad are willing to commit, we're willing to commit to you that we're going to empower you as primary educators. And here are the ways we're going to do that. Um, and if in good faith, you think you can be a part of this, we want, we want you here. Um, and if not, that's okay too. And there will be no hard feelings. And, and there's probably another school that will be a better fit for you. Um, there, there's just something incredibly refreshing. Yeah. Have some families walked away because of that? Absolutely. But you know, um, based on what I've heard and seen, um, more fa more families often than not uh, are challenged just enough to say, wow, there's something here that we want that maybe we don't have, or this aligns perfectly with with our understanding too of the mission uh, of our family and, and of me as a, a mother and as a father. And now I have a school that will support that. Um, but yeah, too often, I think we have also, um, I think in our Catholic schools at times viewed parents as, um, as adversaries. Um, and uh, and and we give lip service to the primacy of the parents, or lip service to the uh, the domestic uh, church, right? The family as as the first school. It's really easy to regurgitate that that line, the company line, the church's company line there, without at concrete, I think, uh, living out of that belief. Um, and so clarity, uh, schools engaging families appropriately. Um, for example, um, I think. One of the the arenas where where uh, we have challenged our schools here in Denver to really elevate the primacy of parents is in the space of sexual education, um, and and fundamentally, I think we have tried to move so uh, uh, far away from um, uh, removing the parent or not not allowing the parent to have the first entry point in that discussion and conversation. There are some things that we that a school should not engage in, even a Catholic school. Do, um, do you do you help parents though with, with with some of those discussions? You know, I've heard uh, school leaders say that the admissions process is actually that that first step in in educating a, a parent um, about how to be a primary educator because I, a, a lot of parents are very accustomed to just delegating uh, education tasks to a school. But, you know, in what ways should a school proactively help parents in their vocation as parents? Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. Admissions process is, is one of the first ones. Um, I think uh, engaging actually in formation, uh, intellectual and spiritual formation of parents and families. Um, at the school I was at uh, when I was a principal uh, here in Denver, um, we started monthly ga gatherings that we called um, the, uh, the Family Academy of Discipleship. And um, families that were going through sacramental prep were asked to be there, but it was an open invite as well um, to other families. And, um, and, and we really try to model that off of uh, the, uh, the image of the primitive church, the only church that we see in Acts of the Apostles, right? Gathering for teaching, for prayer, for breaking of the bread, uh, for celebration of, of the Eucharist. And, um, and it was beautiful. We tried to make it as simple as possible. For, but for some parents, this became the first time that they actually ever engaged in a discussion on the faith with their children um, or prayer with their children. Um, and then you throw in some language uh, differences there where parents maybe were primarily English speakers, but their kids who would hear Spanish at home, but were going to school and, 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 and receiving English instruction uh, to be able to actually have them enter into a space uh, where they're having conversations, legitimate conversations on the faith. There's it's an example. There's other ways that I think schools have chosen to do that. They have book clubs or uh, book studies for parents, right? Or mom's groups. Uh, one of our diocesan schools has a dad's formation group that meets um, as well. So yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right um, in, in pointing out that schools have to be active in engaging in formative opportunities for families um, and, and being invitational with it too, I think. Um, and, uh, but and, Systems and structures can cultivate this, right? Um, even, for example, uh, a policy that says parents, if parents want to sit in in a classroom, they're welcome. They're always welcome to sit in the classroom. We have nothing to hide. We shouldn't have anything to hide. Um, and But I have seen some reticence to something like that as well, right? Um, where it's like, well, we can't have parents in here because then, no, we, again, we have nothing to hide. And and if a parent wants to be in there, what a great opportunity then for their child to, to see their parents in, in the school setting. So, um, 
Yeah, I, I, again, I think that all the, the structures and systems have to be aligned. This is this is where the leadership has to be very attentive to, though, the reality and needs of the families that they serve and discern the right way. Because uh, I, I think that, you know, um, to to assume there's a one size fits all approach uh, may not be the best way either. Um, and, and spiritual fathers, local pastors and their teams are best uh, suited to discern how do we approach and engage families um, and, and, and empower them through formation, ultimately. Well, I think we're so used to the American system, you know, and I went to both Catholic and private or uh, public school on and off. I think the majority of American parents are just used to engaging at a point at which there's trouble, you know, mm. you know, Joey's Joey's failing math. So I have to get involved now. I have to go see the teacher or, you know, so-and-so hit so-and-so on the bus. So now I have to go to school and engage, but, but there's no, um, there's kind of no pre-engagement except for i think covid sort of uh we looked behind the curtain and saw the wizard um a lot of parents did because they were in the room as their child was on their device and they were hearing some of the things they were being taught and they're like whoa what's going on here when did this happen you know what when did schools start teaching this nonsense when did schools start um you know making children advocates, um, you know, for, for certain political stances and, and creating little uh, advocates. So I think, you know, COVID really was a great awakening. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, even like with the teacher unions, I think COVID was not a friend of theirs that they, they, I think when they look back, when teachers, public teacher unions look back on this at some point, they're going to say we made a huge mistake by by actually closing in-person schools and fighting to keep schools closed because parents got a really good look at what's going on um and it, it's flipped this whole dynamic um of of all these understandings of public education and what unions are and what they're about and who they're really advocating for not children but but adults in the classroom and so it's, it, I think it's going to be very interesting. And I think we're not only in Catholic education is, I think they're going to be a renewal, Elias. And I know you're involved with me and, and others in this renewal effort. But I, I think there's going to be at some point, there's going to be a, a tectonic shift in, in public education um, b because there has to be, because it's just, it's getting so bad yeah. that eventually people just are not going to, um, uh, you know, they're just not going to accept this anymore. But um, well, Kimberly, I see that we're we're kind of getting uh, to the close of the hour here. This has been a, a fascinating conversation, Elias. I wish we could. Um, we'd love to have you back, actually, when you get settled in Portland, because um, I think there's some bigger issues too about talking about Hispanics and accessing Catholic education. That I would love to have your thoughts on. But that's, I mean, that's another hour uh topic so uh just want to thank you for today so grateful that you joined us today and um my you know you're, you're a good friend to me and um i'm was thrilled with this conversation and we wish you very very good luck in our prayers as you transition to the archdiocese of portland and move your family and uh just grateful for you being here today and and uh, as we usually do, uh, Kimberly, if you would, um, Elias, why don't we give, we'll give you 30 seconds for your final thoughts and then we're going to ask Kimberly to close us in prayer. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Sean. Um, and Kimberly and Sean, the two of you, thank you for the invitation to this conversation and also for your good work on behalf of the, the church and, and the mission of Catholic education. I think that, um, you know, uh, final thought would be this, um, the, the educational apostolate that the church has really flowing from, um, from our Lord's commission to go and make disciples of all nations, right? By teaching and baptizing um, is one that requires the entirety of the church to, to embrace and to take ownership of. Um, and uh, in support of, again, uh, those successors of the apostles that, um, that are here um, and so I know the two of you are uh, are doing also just incredible work on behalf of the renewal of, of our schools in these times. And, you know, I think people oftentimes hear that and, and they'll, they'll say, Elias, well, what are you saying? Are you saying that that Catholic schools are failing and, and that's, you know, that what we've done has been broken and wrong? And, you know, my, my response to that is merely to say um, every every age and every time, really, I think um, 
uh, presents and poses challenges that are unique to that time. And, and you know, I don't think you have to belabor for, for you all what, what those challenges are today, but we are in a moment uh, akin to other moments in the history of, of humanity and in the church's own history where perhaps uh, the culture and the environment around us is hostile to, uh, to a Catholic, a Christian worldview. Um, and um, and I, I do believe really deeply that the response that the Lord desires from the church uh, and particularly the educational apostle in the church is to go on a rescue mission <laughs> for souls um, and, um, and and to be a, a sanctuary um, of education as Pius XI would describe, right? Um, that brings into harmony the church, the family and the school. Um, and, and we need, we just, we, we need uh, to continue to grow in, in this coalition of those that are committed uh, mission partners uh, and, and committed to the renewal ultimately. So I want to thank you both for also your contributions to to this work and this effort. And um, for many of us, whether in Denver or in another diocese as well, um, your work has has been invaluable too. So thank you for uh, for for all your efforts as well. Well, God bless you, Elias. Uh, best of luck uh, in Portland, and we will certainly have you back on again to have that conversation. Uh, let's close with a hail mary. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Thanks for being with us, Elias. Uh, thank you, Sean, and thank you to our listeners. Until next time. Great. Thank you, Kimberly.